Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, or just trying to rediscover your why. I am your host, Harsha Boralesa, and this podcast came from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you on your path to greater success and fulfillment in your career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. One of my mentors was my boss. She gave me some really good advice, which was that I should try to become indispensable to my clients. I stayed focused on my goals. You can get really easily distracted if you don't do that. There's a lot of benefits to developing a personal brand. And I kind of regret that I didn't start sooner because I'm doing it now. The beauty of personal branding really is that it attracts opportunities. And then you can decide which ones you want to pursue. It's like a magnet. Being top of mind is marketing. Marketing is about being top of mind. That's fundamentally what marketing is. Thank you so much for joining me today on episode 56 of the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast with our guest, Janice Mandel. Before we begin, I wanted to thank all the supporters of the show as it recently passed 8,000 downloads. And I'm also pleased to see a bump in the Canada numbers. It's now my third most popular country. So thank you, Janice, for listening. Any new listeners out there, please connect on LinkedIn and do subscribe, like, and share if you enjoy the content. It does make such a difference. Now back to the show. Janice helps business professionals build a strong personal brand by showing them simple and effective ways to build their visibility and get their message out. Her background includes over 25 years building brands for companies like Microsoft, American Express and Procter & Gamble, where she was head of public relations for Canada. She also ran a PR consultancy for small and medium-sized businesses. Janice understands that small business owners and professionals can benefit from many of the same kind of strategies that big companies use to attract attention. She recently launched a podcast called Path to Visibility to teach just that. It covers topics like how to find your audience, clarify your message, and build a profile in a way that's authentic to you, even if you're shy and don't like talking about yourself. Welcome, Janice. Thank you so much, Harsha. Great to have you here. And also, it was very nice to catch up last year in Toronto and actually meet one of my guests in real life. So that was great. Yeah, no, that was was really cool. Cool. So, um, Janice, I'm a big fan of the arts. Is there a performer, song, book or film which you'd like to share? I saw that you asked this question. You know, it's funny. I am also a big fan of the arts and I have lots of, of, of favorites. But I guess like I was thinking about who's my very, very favorite. My very favorite performer is probably Billy Joel. Cool. Um, I've seen him many times. I've seen him three times at Madison Square Garden. Um, it's an amazing, amazing show. Like I would definitely recommend it to anybody who ha- who's a fan. My favorite song is probably one that's sung by Dinah Washington called Destination Moon. I also love jazz vocals a lot. And this Destination Moon song has always been like one of my personal anthems. Brilliant. I saw you started studying um, English at McGill University, obviously a very impressive university, but then went on to do an MBA. So how did you become interested in marketing? Well, I mean, when I was in at McGill, which is a great school and a really fun school to, to go to, um, and I did an English degree there, I think because I just really enjoyed English in high school. Uh, and I didn't really think much about the future. And I guess when I was getting time, it was getting time to graduate, I realized that there's not a lot you can do with an English degree. So I wanted to think, I, I was thinking, what is a practical degree that I can get in post-grad? And that's how I came up with, you know, business. There was actually a program at the local, one of our local business schools here in Canada at York University, uh, at the Schulich School, it's called, they had a program in arts administration. And that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in uh, for a museum or a gallery in, you know, arts admin. So I, I, I only applied to this one program. I got in, but it turned out the program was just one course. <laughs> yeah. And it was a survey course. And I was like, okay. And then also I, I TA'd for the prof and, and we had this symposium in Canada and we brought together North, um, we brought together arts administrators from across North America for this symposium. They all came to Canada. I helped organize it. 
And they complained about lack of funding the entire time. Museums and galleries just, you know, and it didn't seem to matter if they were prestigious and large, they still complained about lack of funding. So I realized, okay, uh, this is probably not the greatest place to, you know, try to build a career. Maybe this is better just to enjoy. And I just pivoted to general marketing. And then I just sort of set my sights on Procter & Gamble because I was involved in student council. P&G was like the top place to get a job at the time. Um, and so that was kind of my next goal. Unfortunately, when I graduated, uh, it was a recession and there was, I did get an interview at P&G and I, and I, and it was, and it was good experience, but I didn't get the job, which was really crushing, uh, but they only hired one person. So then I was just kind of, what do I do now? So I started my own event planning business and which also isn't the smartest thing to do straight out of college because um, you don't have a network and it's really yeah, hard to get clients. Yeah. yeah. So I went to the library and I started, This is. I went to the library and I started um, looking at careers of the future. And one of the ones that came up was public relations. And I had had this really inspiring prof at business school, even though he didn't teach uh, PR, he taught policy. And so I went and did this research and it, what it showed me was that if I wanted to work in government relations, business government relations, that PR firms, that's what part of what they did. So I went and applied to like all of them. And I ended up getting a job at Hill and Knowlton, which was like at the time, the biggest one in the world. And, and I, I, was, I was put in the consumer marketing group because that's where they had space. So that's kind of how I ended up there. And our clients were like Nintendo, Procter & Gamble, American Express. It was fortuitous to me that P&G ended up being one of the clients and I was able to work on them. I just love that story, Janice. And I think there's so many interesting things coming out of that. I think, firstly, you were intentional in the sense that you saw the future and you realized, look, the arts community it, it, it needs funding. Um, it's it, And actually, I think for a lot of people, when they're looking at careers, and I don't think you should be mercenary about it, but I think you you should also be realistic and think, like, where where is the money? If there just isn't enough money in a particular sector, however much you want to do that, it's just not not very clever. Uh, but but also, I just love this idea of marketing, you know, especially you know, run, running a, a, a podcast. I very much look at it as a sort of a, a content production and then a distribution. It's almost like a mini, mini Netflix or Spotify. And the two have to go hand in hand together. Now, clearly, if the product isn't good, then it's a non-starter. But there are so many people who have amazing products but they just can't you know, either find an audience or connect. And, you know, whether it's a business or even you know, on a micro level, um, you're looking at your yourself and your career, marketing is so important and, and it doesn't have to be sleazy or unpleasant. And sometimes I think no. marketing does, you know, some people think, oh, sales is all about pushing things out, but actually it can be done in a very nice sort of way. Um, I mean, what do you think, Janice? Definitely. I mean, I think that I ended up at an agency that had big clients and those clients like Procter & Gamble, Microsoft, I mean, they had certain ways of doing business and I was able to learn from them, you know, and, and also being able to work across multiple companies, you know, I was able to compare them too. Like I, I understood how Amex did certain things. I understood how, you know, P&G did certain things and they all have processes and, they, their processes work and they really do make a big difference in, you know, whether people buy their products or not. And, you know, P&G is one of the top companies for marketing. I, I, I mean, obviously I knew that from business school, but I didn't really appreciate it until I started working with them that they have a very rigorous process. And, um, you know, you hear about the one page memo, which is one of their legendary things, but, you know, it's a real thing. Now it has like 25 pages of attachments, <laughs> appendices, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> but 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 you do have to summarize, you know, your key ideas, and there's certain things you need to have, and and that have to be summarized on that front page. There's a lot of things that I learned. Like basically, I worked on P and G and other brands, but P and G was the one that really I, I could see that like they just had a very good methodology for what they were doing. So. I, I was able to not, I, I learned from them and I applied what I learned to other clients. Then I ended up going to work there and really learned the processes. And literally I've done everything my entire career, like kind of the PNG way. I mean, it's a modification, but I definitely, you're right, marketing and fund and like the basics of marketing, the fundamentals of marketing, it's, it's not, you know, particularly glamorous, but it is, it's very, um, practical and it works. 
But but I like that point about the one page memo because actually, if if you're thinking about your career and say you, you know you're going to a drinks party or trying to network or, or build up a relationship, you need to be able to tell people in a you know, in a succinct and authentic way what is it that you you do, what is it that you stand for, and actually trying to summarize things in that almost elevator pitch try, type of way. I mean, not pitching somebody, but it is a good habit to get into. Um, yeah. And even if you're in a meeting, just say, okay, look, rather than getting into all the arguments, say, look, we if we do this, we can increase sales by X. And these are the three uh, you know, crucial points. And the same with your career or try to build yeah, yeah. a brand. I mean, the thing, one of the things that I learned at P- from P&G is the importance of objectives and goals. And I mean, they, they have a document called an OGSM, objective, it's, it stands for Objectives, Goals, Strategies, Measures. The whole company was run off that. I don't know if it still is. Probably is. Um, so at the at the most like at the in the U.S. at head office, they come up with an OGSM for the company, and then every um, group, which is where like the business units, they all have an OGSM for their business unit, and then every brand has an OGSM for itself, and then every individual has an OGSM as well. They all cascade down from that top one, so we're all aligned in terms yeah. of our objectives, our goals, our strategies, and our measures vary but they relate to what we do. And that's kind of how I do everything. That's how I've always, that's how I learn from them. And I still do it like that to this day. And that's to your point, like when you go out and you want to pitch an idea or, you know, advance something, I mean, yeah, you want to have a clear understanding of what the objective is, you know, you, and then you want to have a strategy and then you want to know whether your strategy is working or not by looking at the measures. There's a few other things too. You have to have a target audience. You have to have a plan. So the plan, the, you know, the, the process I follow has a little, a few more elements to it, but you do have a, a process that is marketing based that works. And yes, messaging is a very important part of it. Cool. And, and obviously clearly you've done, you did very well, you know, uh, after the MBA, because within seven years, you became head of comms at PNG Canada, which is a really impressive achievement. So what do you think that are the skills that helped you, you know, progress and become a good marketer? Well, working at Hill and Knowlton taught me, you know, the basic PR skills so that I needed, like how to write a press release, you know, general media, how to generate media coverage, uh, how to manage issues, organize events, you know, manage media, that kind of stuff. And then, but we didn't get a lot of management training at the agency. Agencies are pretty notorious for not, you know, giving kind of like management training. Um, but I think there was a few things that helped me fast track at P&G and at H&K as well. I mean, number one, I was very goal oriented always, and I took charge of my own career. I mean, you know, I, I, I basically chose to work at Hill and Knowlton, and I chose which clients to work on, and I chose which clients to focus on. Um, I found I found mentors to guide me, and you know, it wasn't even necessarily people that knew they were my mentors. Like there were there was a couple of people that knew, but then there were other people that I just saw, you know, which I'll I'll, I'll give you an example in a second as being people that I aspire to be like, and I just you know, use them from afar as a mentor. Um, and I was also, I think, like in hindsight, I was quite strategic in how I approached all of my work. I'm not really sure why that was, but it was just kind of how I looked at things. So like I can explain with some examples if you want. Yeah, sure. Um, after I got the job at H&K, I, I, that's when I set the goal of working client side. I didn't think I was going to end up at PNG because PNG only promotes from within. At the time, they only promoted from within. But I did realize that eventually I wanted to go client side and not always work in the agency. Preferably, I wanted to work at PNG, but it wasn't like I didn't know if I was going to make yeah. it there. The people that worked at H and K, they went off and started a bunch of other agencies. They're all the top people in the industry, so these were the people I learned from. And so I just really chose my mentors very wisely or carefully, I should say. Yeah. And I had like certain people that I really wanted to like aspire to be like. Um, so for example, there was one person that was amazing at giving presentations. I had gone and participated in a presentation. I had messed up. I had uh, was so nervous. It was actually at PNG, and I I just misspoke like repeatedly. And people started laughing. And I was just like mortified. And my boss wasn't too angry. She said it was good comic relief. But I said, I don't want to be comic relief. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so this is why presentation skills are really important. So yeah. I there was one person who was fantastic. So she became my mentor for how I do presentations. And I really do do them like she does. One of my mentors was my boss, and and she was my like probably my t- my most important mentor. 
And she told me, uh, she gave me some really good advice, which was that I should try to become indispensable to my clients. Yeah. She said that if I did that, that it would serve me well. And I did. And, and it did, because that's how I got promoted very quickly. You know, I was working hard. I was very focused. I got promoted really fast to VP, like two or three levels. Of course, there's a lot of turnover in agencies. Yeah. So you do get the opportunity to be promoted. And I was made head of, of consumer marketing by the age of 28. So that was wow. pretty incredible. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so I was a vice president at 28. I was also offered a retention bonus at, at that time. And I was told if I stayed for three years that I would get it. So two and a half years later, I got a call from P&G and, they, and the, the, my same, the same mentor that had given me that advice about mm-hmm. making myself indispensable, she had recommended me for this opening they had, even though oh, they, wow. were promote, they were promote from within mm-hmm. company, but they had a need for someone with technical skills in PR because of some promotions that were happening. And so she recommended me and she called me and told me, and I had this retention bonus and it was significant, but you know, it was like, she called me on a Monday. I accepted the job on a Tuesday. I gave my resignation on a Wednesday and it was a complete no brainer because I knew what was important to me, which was going client side. I also had to give up my VP title. I became a senior manager at P&G. So I like took a step back in terms of my titles. But again, it was like a no-brainer. So, you know, this is what I'm saying. I was strategic in how I approached my work and my career because I kind of said, I want to go client side. I have a retention bonus. I have a great title. It doesn't really matter because I'm going client side. That's what I want to do. I like that whole idea of you're almost thinking about the long game, to quote Dory Clark. Because yeah. I think sometimes in our careers and our lives, we're a bit too short-term focused about you know the salary we're on or the title. But actually, I do think that if you can be strategic and look sort of three years ahead, five years ahead, um, and, and also it's, it's almost like that delayed gratification because a lot of people can't say, well, I'll give up something today, like I, I'll invest today for that back-end payoff. Um, and I think if you can have that mindset and mentality that I'm prepared to wait, I can uh, think about the bigger picture, then actually you can get almost outsized rewards just from being able to wait. Um, and, yeah. and I do think that there's something about your like mindset and mentality where, you know, I think sometimes in modern life, it's like, I want it now. And if I don't get it now, yeah. then it's a disaster. Um, I mean, yeah. what do you think, Janice? Yeah, I think that was less of a, yes, I agree with you 100%. I don't think it was as as much of an issue when I was coming through, coming up like instant gratification, but I agree with you. Like my goals are what kept me focused and my mentors are helped give me the kind of advice that I needed in order to achieve my goals. And there were a lot of distractions. I mean, I was offered to work on the Microsoft account and I turned it down. I did get to work on it anyways. I mean, I knew like I had understood by that point, the dynamic of the agency. And, you know, they wanted to put me in front of Microsoft because Microsoft wanted somebody with consumer marketing experience. So I kind of knew they were going to put me in front of them no matter what, because like I had that experience, I was in the consumer group and I didn't need to like not work on P&G. I was very keen to work on P- to stay on P&G. I stayed focused on my goals. I listened to the advice I was given. You can get really easily distracted if you don't do that. And the other thing is, People get really enamored with titles. And I also think titles can be, they can give you a title at a company in lieu of a raise, in lieu of giving you a project. And if you know you want like certain things, then you can just stay focused on those things. And if a title is one of those things, okay. But if if it's not, and you're offered, let's say the project you want to work on in a salary increase, and you don't get the title, then you should probably say yes anyways, because you're getting what you want. You know, it doesn't really matter what your title is if it doesn't if your goals are not being met in other ways, if that makes sense. No, no, totally. And, and, and actually, I think, I think there's a really interesting point about motivation because, you know, if, if you're, say, um, doing hard work or a, a tough project, but you can see how it fits into the bigger picture of your goal, uh, sorry, of your career advancement, then actually um, you can put the hours in or uh, you're willing to sacrifice certain other things. But I think it's always trying to think, okay, is what I'm doing, is it leading me to my my bigger goal? Yeah. Um, is there a motivation there? Um, I mean, I, I can sort of edit podcasts for hours because I know that if I don't, then the final product yeah. is not going to be good. Um, I'm sh- sure the same thing with you or making YouTube videos. It's true. I'm finding I started my own podcast as well, and I'm finding it's taking a ton of time. And then you really do need to stay focused and you really do need to think about the long game. 
when you are investing the time. You know, a funny thing happened when I was hired to go work at PG because they had this need for someone with PR knowledge. I accepted the job, went to work there. But the thing was, I had some PG clients that were using PR, mostly the hair care brands, but not, it was not a company wide thing when I went there. It was, and the person who brought me in, he wanted the company to be using more PR. And he thought, let's bring in someone from the outside who can really teach and train. And like, it'll help the brands that aren't using it understand better what the benefits are. And he then retired. So I started, you know, phoning around to the brands because it was part of my job to, you know, sit them down and explain, this is what PR is. This is how it can benefit your brand. No one returned my phone calls because they all had their work plans and no one had PR on their work plan. And they, they were very focused on their OGSMs and their work plans. And it wasn't anything to do with PR. So I had my, you know, hair care brand friends that were, you know, working with me, but I was really, really struggling to get attention, you know, to get any traction with anybody. And I was worried. So I thought, well, what can I do? Like, just like, again, I was looking at strategically and I was thinking, geez, are they going to decide, oh, PR isn't that important. And maybe they're going to (laughs) like, I'll be gone. And I was thinking, what can I do? So, and I had, you know, a couple of reports, but a small department uh, and I didn't have a lot of budget. So I, but I had a lot of knowledge. So I I went to the Tide brand because they're the biggest brand in the company. And I just said, what is your problem now? Like, what are your challenges right now? What are you trying to accomplish? Because I figured if I went to the biggest brand and I could help them with their problems, then everyone would take note. So the head of laundry, he said, you know, we're about to increase our price. And whenever we increase our price, we always lose market share. And when Tide loses market share, it's significant, right? Like one point is significant. So I'm like, okay. And I like think to, I leave and I think to myself, okay, what can I do? What can I do? Cause like, I have no idea. Like how can we use PR to help them maintain their share? I think, think, think. And it just turned out that Tide was having an anniversary that year. They were turning 50. So I think in Canada. So I went to the, we were partnered with the local science center. That was a corporate partner of the company. And I said, could we do an exhibit on the science of laundry? Cool. Because there is science in laundry. Yeah. And they were like, sure, we can build it for you. Cause that's kind of what they do. Yeah. Um, and cause you're a partner. And um, so we got like some people from the U S like the archivist, the person who managed the archives and, you know, one of the guys who did um, product development in laundry and we got together and we put together this exhibit on the science of laundry. And we, um, we also did a promotion where you could build it for our, our, our store partners, like the retailers build a display around this and you know, the best display will get tickets to this event. And we invited the media to the opening and it was also being held during March break, which is a big holiday where kids come through. And we did like invitations and media around that. And fortunately there wasn't a lot happening in the world. It was kind of a slow news day, but we got a lot of cameras. We got the retailers. We got a lot of foot traffic because it was March break and everyone got into it. And as a result, Tide did not lose share that month. And Martin knew because the only thing they did differently was this PR and they maintained their share. And he put it in his monthly letter. So they write write these letters every month that that get sent up to senior management. And he said, we raised our price and we maintained our share. And it was thanks to our PR campaign because it's the only thing we did differently. And because he did that, Everyone, well, not everyone, but I got a lot of, of people coming to my door and saying, knock, knock, knock. I have some money for PR. Can we talk about, you know, what we can do? Because we we want to do something similar to a time. Well, well, I think it's, it's almost like that social proof, isn't it? That you get this big brand, you know, the, yeah. this powerhouse of P&G. Yeah. They, yeah. they do well. And then everybody says, Janice, you're, you're a hero. Um, can you come and can we come and work with you? So well, I, because there's I just something love that story. P&G follows a success model. Um, process where if something works for one brand, they call it a success model and they say, how can we reapply that to another yeah. brand? So that was a success model. And so it became like known. And then, yes, I, so that was like another example, in my opinion, of me taking a strategic approach to kind of like, how can I introduce PR? Because my lunch and learns are not working. Nobody's showing up. Yeah. And, and that's really interesting because I think sometimes when you're trying to get your message out, you need to figure out what is the best way to do that because just having one channel and sticking to that, like as you're saying, lunch and learn, is probably not working. So you need to be creative. You need to think clever and say if you're marketing a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever it is, or you're trying to get your message out there, if stuff isn't working and the, the, the needle is not moving, 
you just yeah. need to sort of go back and think, okay, how can I be clever about this? So I just, yeah, I love that story. Well, I mean, I think that the basic thing to do when you're trying to figure out how to market something is you'd say, what is my objective? Who is my target audience? Where do they go for information? Right? What, like yeah. social yeah. media, what do they read? What is my message to them? What is my strategy of approaching them? What is my plan for doing that? What is my timeline and what's my budget? That's like basically the process. And that's kind of what I do with everything, you know, and it's based on the PNG model. And so to your point, now there's, there's a lot of legwork involved in that. You have to understand your target audience. You have to understand your market. You have to understand the competitive landscape. You know, there's a bunch of things you have to do, but if you follow that process and you do those things, then your chances of success are much higher than if you just think, hmm, I have a good idea. Why don't I try X? Yeah, no, no, I just totally love that. And and actually, talking about PNG as well, I saw that you had quite a big team there with seven direct reports and over 30 uh, full-term employees. So how did you find leadership? And are there any things that um, might be helpful for our listeners? Well, I got promoted young, as I said, and I was in an agency where there wasn't a lot of training. So I really, I realized very quickly that I needed to get some external training. And I did. I went and got management training while I was at the agency. And that was helpful. But then when I got to PNG, I mean, fortunately, regular training is an ongoing part of working there. And, you know, one of the first courses that I actually took when I got there, and you get these invitations like to these training courses, and it's not really an invitation. It's kind of like mandatory. But, um, <laughs> you know, I took a, a, a course called Positive Power and Influence. It was one of the first courses I took. I still have my binders for these courses. And it required a Myers-Briggs test at the very, you know, at the, at the yes, of course, yeah. you had to do the Myers-Briggs right yeah. before you took the training. Uh, I didn't know what Myers-Briggs was at the time, but P&G was very much run off it. Everybody had their Myers-Briggs type posted outside their office door and you kind of knew what they were. And the purpose of that was really to understand people's preferences for things yeah. like how they like to take in information, how they like to make decisions, where they get their energy from. And if you know things like that, you were able to accommodate. And if you could accommodate them, then, you know, flex to their style, then you were in theory more likely to get the outcome that you wanted. But first you had to understand yourself. So Myers-Briggs, I mean, it, it was very helpful for me because it gave me some really good insight about myself. For example, um, I learned that I'm an extrovert. So I get my energy from other people, which is why I prefer to speak in person or by phone than email. And I learned that I process information out loud, which is why I think well on my feet. Also why I'm prone to interrupting people. Uh, so that's something I have to watch out for. And I learned also that I'm a fact-based decision maker and that I take an objective approach to solving problems, um, which was very helpful, like, because a lot of what I do is involves managing issues and crises. So I, I'm always very calm, cool, and collected. And those are some of the pluses. But, you know, there's also some less good traits. Like I have a tendency to tune out things that are conceptual, that don't have practical value, and I can be, you know, resistant to change. So those are things to watch out for. And there's a lot more, but I learned that kind of stuff. And so that was very helpful for me in managing my team as my team grew, because it did. Um, as I started getting more you know, well-known in the company, yes. I started getting more responsibility. I inherited the call center, government relations, more people. And I also had to become a better manager. I was much better at uh, you know, dealing with people at my own level and, my, and you know, people who were senior yes. to me. Because in the agency, it was more of an eat what you kill type of environment. Yeah. So this was a professional management culture. And so I actually brought Myers-Briggs with me to all my other jobs. So after I left P&G, when I started in a new position in another smaller business, I brought in uh, uh, somebody to do our Myers-Briggs. And we use that as a tool for interacting with each other and for interacting with others in the company, because it's a great way to depersonalize your interactions. So when somebody's acting a certain way and somebody thinks they're doing it to them, yeah. all of a sudden yeah. you can realize, no, they're not acting a certain way. It's just how they are. Yeah. So like, they're not trying, they're not out to get you by not returning your phone calls. You know what I mean? They just need a day to think it over because they're an introvert or something like that. So learning about my natural abilities helped me because it gave me confidence. It helped me understand why I love what I do. Um, it helped me understand why I'm good at it. And it helped me understand how to further develop my ability. So I have recommended Myers-Briggs and it doesn't have to be Myers-Briggs. It can be one of the other tools to so many people because I really feel like it's a great way to get insight. And the other thing, I guess, 
is learning about taking feedback because, you know, feedback is really a gift and P&G is very feedback driven company. Like people will say, I'd like to give you some feedback and you just need to listen. Um, and I was very, at first I was very taken <laughs> aback by that, you know, yeah. and I re- kind of probably rejected some of it, but then <laughs> I realized, you know what, first of all, thank you for taking the time to tell me that. And second of all, you're right. And I need to be mindful of these things. You know, sometimes it was good feedback. Sometimes it was more constructive. But I know that like it can be hard to get feedback. And a lot of people are very prickly about it. But they shouldn't be because it's like somebody's telling you they care. That's what I think. I know. I, I totally love that point. And, and it's funny because I think with feedback, firstly, you're putting your head above the parapet to actually give it to somebody. Uh, because like, why, why do you need to do that? It's not part of your job uh, description. But but actually, um, yeah, and, and say with you know, the podcast or whatever, if you get feedback from your listeners, that's amazing, because you're getting information. And I think it's all about getting good quality information from people who almost have skin in the game, because they want you to do well. Um, and, and actually, telling you you've done well is yeah, it's helpful to a certain extent, but actually telling you where you've not done well and where you can improve. It's so much more powerful. So I, I, I just love that. So yeah. now going, going on to sort of personal branding, Janice, um, now clearly I, I know how important it is to you, but can you tell your, our listeners, why do you think it is so important? Okay. So let me, first of all, just step back and just say what it, what personal branding is. Cause I yeah, think it's sure. a bit of a buzzword and I think people maybe are a little intimidated by it. So first of all, I I would say personal branding is a way for people outside your immediate network to get to know you and learn about your expertise and the passion you have for what you do. Um, Because a lot of people are well-respected in their, you know, companies, in their industries, but they're kind of like in a little box and, you know, they work or maybe they work for themselves and they rely on referrals to, to market themselves and they're just not kind of out there. But then when they see other people, you know, in their industry, like being featured in an article or maybe speaking on a stage, they think, well, how did they, how did they get that? How did that happen? You know, why, what do I, what do they have that I don't have? And, and those things are not by accident usually. So there is, you know, a way that you can make it happen. I mean, anyone can really can benefit, I think, from building a personal brand and eventually become a go-to person in their industry. Um, and, you know, I'll explain a little bit more about what that means, but, but, but that's kind of what it is, right? It's, it's just becoming known for what you do and becoming a go-to person in your industry. You know, the other thing I wanted to mention was it's not a new concept. I just talked about this in, in, an, in an episode of my uh, podcast, which is called The Path to Visibility. And uh, I did an episode on personal branding. So I was talking all about this. And there was an article that I read many years ago and I dug it up and it was actually written in 1997. So wow. 25 years ago, yeah, um, by Tom Peters, who is a management guru, right? He's an expert in management uh, for, for, for Fast Company magazine. And it was called The Brand Called You. That was the article. And in that article, he said, don't be defined by your job description or title. Big companies understand that everyone has a chance to stand out. So think of yourself as a brand and ask yourself what makes you different. Like he said that 25 years ago. And he also said, it's a good idea to reinvent yourself on a semi-regular basis to avoid becoming a slave to a career path that may no longer serve you or energize you. Can you relate to that? Because I can relate to that. I think yeah, no, I love it. Yeah. That's kind of like what personal branding is and, you know, and kind of like, you know, I think that article was one of the things that kickstarted it. Why is it important? Because it offers a lot of benefits. I have to admit that even though I'm a PR person who helps you know, spokespeople, other executives, brands, small business owners build their profile that I was not always building my own profile outside the company that I work for. Because I don't know, I think it's the shoemaker's children have no shoes. You know, you just don't worry about yourself. You worry about other people. And, but there's a lot of benefits to developing a personal brand. And I kind of regret that I didn't start sooner because I'm doing it now. Um, But the benefits are things like it's a way to communicate your expertise It's a way to differentiate yourself from the competition. It's a way to establish trust and credibility with your audience, create new opportunities like a promotion, a new job, you know, even potentially a new career, Um, or it could expand your existing job because, you know, after you become known and sought after, you might attract new customers, you know, you can charge higher fees so you can, you know, just excel at what you're doing. But the beauty of personal branding really is that it attracts opportunities. And then you can decide which ones you want to pursue. 
it's like a magnet. And then you get on invited on Reframe and Reset Your Career. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Just on that point, like I'll have, I have to tell you, I give it lots of advice on how to build profiles, how to get known, how to get sought, build, become sought after. And I've been very successful and done it for years. I started doing it for myself. I, I think part of why I was never doing it was because I felt like as a PR person, I shouldn't be in the foreground. I should be in the background okay, because yeah. I don't really like it when PR people are too in the foreground, but it's a different world now and everything's different. And we have to, you know, go with, we have to change with the, with the world and yeah. building a personal brand is very important. Since I started my podcast and it's only been since the beginning of February, I have had, okay, of course, downloads are building, which is yeah. great. Um, I'm going to be over 500 soon. Cool. Um, and then, but the other thing is two people that I do not know have reached out to me because they found my podcast, listened to it and wanted to work with me already. Two people, Amazing. one from the UK and one from the US and I live in Toronto. And the other thing was I, I have an opportunity to teach a course at U- University of Toronto potentially already just based on this podcast. Fantastic. So, so one of my guests who I've known for many years who teaches, he recommended me and they've already been in touch with me. So that is like personal branding at work. I love the way you talk about that, because I think it's really about getting control of your career arc, getting control of the narrative. Because yeah, as I'm, I'm sure you've come across, there are so many people who are good at their jobs and, and actually outstanding, yeah. but nobody knows about it. Uh, and maybe within the company, within a, a small segment, but actually, especially I think in a big company, you need to be able to build um, uh, relationships with people outside your direct department. Because, you know, when it comes to the promotional stakes, it's not just the people within your department, it's the people outside. So I'm sure 100%. that when when you were going to get promoted, I'm sure the fact that you, know, you had done all this work with Tide and the various other products, that, you know, you got people in other departments saying Janice is in, indispensable. And, and I think it's that whole idea of taking power back, taking control back, um, you know, from, yeah, other people. Um, I mean, look, it may not always work, but at least you feel that you're doing everything you can to get your message out there, but not yeah. in an unpleasant way. Well, what, you know, that, that just reminds me of something. So goals are, I keep coming back to this goal thing, but you know, that's really what it is. It's like, what's my goal? Your goal can change, yeah. but you know, I, 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 I will usually have a five-year plan. I mean, I know five-year plans these days are a little hard to, um, you know, things change so rapidly, but I still, I still think having a long-term plan is useful. Um, so I always do have a five-year plan, but then I, you know, I look at it and I think about it and I modify it and whatever. But the other thing is, is, you know, you have a goal and you do know, you have to think about who is my target audience? Yeah. Who am I trying to reach? So if you're trying to get promoted, your target audience might be the bot, your boss, it might be the board. It depends on what you're trying to do. Um, and I was going to talk a little bit about a framework for personal branding, which I'll do in a minute. But before I do, I just wanted to say that, you know, when I'm looking at what my goal is and what my target audience is, who my target audience is and what I need to do in order to achieve my goal, I, I, I often will call it a science project, the plan or a test. So I'll just say, let's do a test or, you know, let's do a little science project and let's try X. And, you know, it'll be based on something that maybe worked for somebody else. I don't know if it's going to work for me or for the project I'm working on, but I'll say, okay, science project. And, you know, we start working on it and like, okay, it's, it's going sideways. It's not working. It's a science project. Yes. So let's just adjust, right? So we adjust or it's a test. Let's adjust. So that's why I like to think of things like a science project because you learn, right? You don't fail. You learn. How is the science project going? What can I do to modify it, to, you know, to, to make it more successful? And it doesn't feel as much like a big, huge failure or risk. Yeah, and I, and I love that. I think you know, just taking the personal out of it, because I think it's so many people, they do do something, they put it out there, and it becomes a very personal thing. Um, and sometimes you don't know when, you know, ha, ha, have you hit that target audience, or it could be that you'll hit it later on, because sometimes you have articles from a year ago, maybe a podcast episode from a year ago, which suddenly becomes popular, because that person is popular. So you never know, uh, just because at that time, it's not it's lighting fire. It doesn't mean that it's not good. So I just love the way you, you talk about it. And the other thing is, you know, I once had a very difficult boss um, and I was in a new job, not PNG. It was another one. And I had a very difficult boss and I was having a lot of, I was having a big struggle, you know, making the kind of progress with what I was with my own work plan that I needed to make. 
And I, I took the science project approach and I just said, okay, science project, you know, what can we try? So I tried one thing. So this was a person who he wasn't so nice and, and he was difficult. I mean, I had the benefit of Myers-Briggs. I was trying different things. I was trying to understand what kind of personality type he was by trying different approaches and getting different reactions from him, even with my team, even in meetings, even in the way we executed the work, I was able to figure out how to talk to him and what I could and couldn't say to him in order to get what the outcome I wanted. So basically I learned that I was only, I could only say like, yes, I agree. Uh, when would you like that? Right? Like only positive words. And I couldn't give any opinion yeah. or anything constructive because he would just didn't want to hear it. So once I got to that point though, uh, you know, some people would say, well, why don't you just quit? I mean, believe me, I was tempted, but I just got to that point where I realized all that through the science project approach, which was like, try this, try this, try this. And then all of a sudden he was like telling everyone how smart I was and how, <laughs> yeah, they should be more like me. So, <laughs> how ironic. And, and then on you- the management team, because I was on the management team and, you know, other people. So, you know, that was me, like the science project worked. No, I, I just love that. And and Janice, I think one, one thing that uh, a lot of listeners are going through at the moment is this whole thing with the layoffs, especially in the tech sector. And I think what, what would be really helpful is um, almost like trying to use um, a marketing approach um, you know, to help those uh, guys and girls out there who are trying to um, get, get a new job, get the message out. Um, are there any things that you can suggest about how people can stand out or make themselves more um, desirable um, from a job uh, seeker's perspective? Yeah, I'll talk about this framework. I think this framework, which I'm going to talk about, uh, which I'm going to give you, it it, it will work for job seekers, but it will also work for somebody who wants to stand out in their current role, find a new role, or even start a business. I think the approach is pretty much the same. The only thing that would be different about when you're in transition, and I'll say this to preface this whole thing, is that if you're in transition in a role, I think it's really important that you want to stay relevant in the industry. So ideally, you want to have a personal brand developed, or if you don't, you want to start developing one because it does give you a platform that you can use to stay relevant, to continue to do the things you should be doing, like speaking or you know the other things that you... So we'll talk a bit about what the things are, but I think that... you know. It's very important when you're in transition to stay relevant. One way to stay relevant is to have a personal brand. Cool. Have one already or develop one while you're in this transitional phase. And I've worked with lots of people who are in transition, clients that I've had that have left their jobs, you know, and I, so I can tell you this definitely does make a difference. There's a big difference between somebody who has like the wherewithal to get themselves out there and another person who's just sitting at home thinking, what am I going to do now? Cool. So, so. Yeah. So, so I would say the first thing that you should do is set aside an hour or two when you have a clear mind and you're not rushed. Number one, like a Sunday afternoon or something and do the following things. First of all, establish a goal for yourself. So what are you trying to accomplish and what do you want to be known for? So if you're in a job, what do you want to accomplish in your job? What do you want to be known for? Maybe different than what you have now. If you're in transition, where do you want to go? What do you want to be known for? You know, if you want to start your own business, what kind of business is it? Just figure out what your goal is. You know, are you trying to get promoted, find a new job, start a new career, maybe start your own business, whatever it is, write it down and, you know, be, try to get a little clear on what that is. Then the next question to ask yourself is, who do you want to reach? Like, who is it that you have to reach in order for this goal to be on its way? So maybe you want a promotion. Who are the decision makers? Is it your boss? Is it the board? Like I said earlier. If you're looking for a new job or if you're in, you know, if you're in the job search, um, you know, or do you want to start your, if you want to start your own business, the audience would be different, but think about who the audience would be for your, for your objective. Um, And then ask yourself, where do you currently stand in the market? So make a list of your strengths, your skills, any characteristics that set you apart from colleagues or competitors, include things like the results you've gotten, uh, the accomplishments you can take credit for, any big successful projects that relate to your personal brand goal. Like don't talk about the things that don't relate to your personal brand goal. Sometimes people do that. 
those things are fine. You can put them aside and have them in your back pocket if something relevant comes up in an interview or in a, you know if it's, if it's relevant to what you're doing. But focus on things that relate to your brand goal. And if you don't have those things, then you can we'll talk about how you're going to yeah. get them. Um, so then when you've done all this, when you've asked yourself you know what your strengths are, your skills, then um, you want to you want to ask yourself, how do these strengths, skills, and accomplishments support your brand, your personal brand goals, right? Um, where are the gaps? Are there any gaps? Are there skill gaps? Are there project gaps? You know, I mean, if you look at, you know, you, you can look at ways to get the type of experience you need. Like if you're in a job, maybe you want to ask for a project that's yeah. going to get you a step closer to where you want to go. Or if you're starting your own business, how do you compare in, in the competitive landscape? What's different about you? Is there anything that you don't have that you need that you could get trained on? You know, that kind of stuff. If you're looking for a job, obviously you want to make sure that you are thinking about what kind of job you want, what's missing in your package that you need to somehow convey. How can I get that in this transitional time? Can I do some charity work, you know, or can I just repackage something that I've already done? So you're just looking for, you know, how do you, how do you um, package your skills and strengths and are there any gaps? And then depending on your goals, you know, you might want to look at the competitive landscape. Like if you're starting a business, look at your clients. Are there any testimonials you can get from them? Are there any recognizable names in your client testimonials? All the better. So that's kind of like thinking about where you stand in the market. So that's sort of like the third step. So first is establish a goal. Second is look at who you, who you need to reach in order to get to that goal. And third is um, where do you currently stand in regard to that goal? And then next, you want to start marketing your personal brand by building your visibility, your credibility, and your reputation. All you need for this is some idea of where your target audience is likely to see you. Where do they go for information? So like, if it's your boss, what does he look like? Does he, is he on LinkedIn? What projects is he focused on? What part of the business is he focused on? I mean, maybe it's more of an internal thing. If it's, if it's a new business that you're developing, you know, who is your target market? Where do they go for information? Once you figure out where your audience goes, you have to figure out you have to start putting original content out there. So like I said, if it's a job, if it's a promotion, it's maybe it's more of a, a matter of getting put on a certain project. But if, if it's, um, if it's a business that you're starting, or if it's a new job, that, a, a job that you want to get, that's different than what you have, maybe you want to start posting on LinkedIn. Um, you know, if you're in a job, maybe you want to start writing on the company blog, but just figure out ways to get your, your own original content out there so that people can see what it is that you know, and what your approach to it is, and what your passion for it is like, and maybe it's a little different. One one thing that struck me while you were talking was that, you know, say you're looking for a job, and you look at your experience. Maybe there there's stuff that you haven't focused on or may, you know, right. uh, really talked about very much. So as you're saying, why don't you um, get on a podcast and talk about it or create a podcast, yep. write an article? It's this whole idea of repackaging, repurposing, because, you know, you obviously know everything that you've done, but the world doesn't. Um, and, and quite frankly, people don't have time. You know, it's that right. whole spotlight effect. You know, people think that the world is much more focused on them than they really are. But actually, yes. well, that's are. very true. Yeah. yeah so whatever are. it is, like you, whatever it is that you want to highlight, you, you just, like I said, you want to know, you want to go to where your audience is. I think that's important because yeah. if you're like on a podcast and your audience doesn't listen to podcasts, that's great, but it's not necessarily going to help you. Totally. But wherever your audience goes, like figure that out, maybe ask them if you have to. <laughs> and then, you know, if they go to conferences or trade shows, then, you know, start making a list of the places they go. I mean, number one, go there just to network. Number two, see if you can get on a panel discussion because it doesn't have to be a keynote, but, you know, eventually it could be a keynote because you could do, you know, you're not going to just do, a, it's not going to be a one-off. This is something you should start doing. Um, if, you're, if your target audience does listen to podcasts, by all means, you should consider guest opportunities or even hosting one. Um, other ways to build visibility are things like guest lecturing at a local university or even better, an adult education class in the area you want to be known for even as a guest lecturer, um, you can start publishing more frequently. Uh, you, sorry, you can contribute an article to a trade publication or an alumni publication, you know, and as you start publishing more frequently, you can ladder up to things like, you know, Fast Company maybe, or Harvard Business Review, if that's somewhere where your, your target audience looks or whatever publications or media outlets they look to. You can also reach out to media for the purpose of being quoted. Let's say you see an article that you think, oh, I have an opinion on that. Why aren't I quoted in that article? I could have said something. 
you can reach out to that journalist through Twitter. You can reach out to them through email and you can just say, hey, uh, state your your opinion, briefly state your credentials. And then, you know, maybe they'll respond back and say, that's very interesting. Can I quote you? I've had that happen to me uh, and my clients. Or maybe they'll say, no, thank you, uh, but I'll keep it in mind for next time. You know, maybe they won't respond at all, but that's okay. You can follow up. You can send them another quote in, you know, a few weeks. I did a whole podcast episode on this too, how to get quoted in the media, because I think getting quoted in the media is like the fastest, easiest way to benefit from media coverage. So something that if your listeners are interested in in exploring that, they can listen to that episode. It's episode number two. The name of your podcast again, Janice, can you just remind us? It's called Path to Visibility and it's episode number two, the value of being quoted in the media and how to make it happen. So that's another example of a way to get yourself out there. So we've talked about doing things like, um, first of all, getting your original thoughts out there is what you're trying to accomplish through podcasting, maybe blogging, maybe appearing at a, a, a networking at a conference, speaking at a conference, publishing in an industry newsletter, alumni publication, and also being quoted in the media. And then finally, <clears throat> this is kind of a bigger goal, but you might want to consider writing a book because books today are kind of like business cards used to be. Um, everyone has one uh, because you no longer need a publisher in order to write a book. You can self-publish. And the great thing about a book is that it showcases your unique perspective, your approach, um, and your voice, and it sets you apart from other people in your field. And when you're promoting your book, you can increase your visibility, you can reach new audiences, you can go on podcasts, and you can potentially attract new opportunities, you know, clients, customers. And one other thing I should mention is that if you work for a company, and you want to develop your brand, they should support you in, in because you they will benefit from everything that you do because there's something called the halo effect. So everything you do to grow your brand, the projects you take on, the relationships you develop, the networks you build, the results you generate, everything that's good for you rubs off on your employer because that's where you work. And it can used by them to get attention, attract clients, customers, build authority. It's, it's, that's the halo effect in practice. People say my employer isn't going to want me to do this, but you can educate them about the benefits. Yeah. And and actually just have a discussion with your manager or whoever it is. It's a win-win situation. It's, I think as long as you're uh, sort of respectful, then I think most employers would be pretty happy to have you out there. It's another way of uh, marketing the company and the brand, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Like take, for example, the legal profession, like let's say you're a lawyer and your firm is looking to develop a certain practice area, like maybe entertainment law. I mean, if you happen to be an entertainment lawyer or interested in entertainment law, then you can do, you can start off by maybe writing about it on your company blog. Then maybe you start, you know, publishing a little bit on Twitter about your cases you know, then you, you just know, speak in an industry event and, you know, wh- whatever approach you take, you know, you're building your personal brand in the area of that, you, that you're, that you're, yeah. that your uh, firm is interested in developing and that's going to benefit them and it's going to benefit you as well. Cool. And, and uh, the other point that, that struck me when you're talking is that I think if, if you start creating content, especially if you're looking for work and, and you've been laid off, it actually gives you a focus um, for your time because you know, it's very difficult to look for a job, you know, seven hours a day. And it's actually quite depressing in a way. So if yeah. you can sort of compartmentalize, say, I'm going to give it two hours or two and a half hours to, to actually do the proper job search and follow up. But actually for the rest of your time, if you're creating content or thinking, and actually the, the whole a process of creating content that actually leads you in other directions. It does. And, it keeps yeah. you engaged in your industry and yeah. it keeps your name. It keeps your name top of mind with other people Definitely. and companies. And that's very important. The one thing I would say is that um, two things, actually, if you're, you know, doing that, if you're focusing on your personal brand during a period of transition, number one, it's very important. Don't feel inhibited, but make sure you know what your transition story is before you start, because people are going to ask you, oh, what's, yeah. what's going on with you? And you're going to want to be able to say, oh, well, this is what's happening with me. Yeah. Before you start building your personal brand or as a part of when you're establishing it, make sure your bios are up to date. Make sure your LinkedIn profile is up to date, your image, make sure your Twitter profile particularly LinkedIn and Twitter, because LinkedIn is where business people go to look and they will go and check and see, oh, where are you now? I know with my clients that are in transition, whenever they're quoted and stuff, they get a lot of profile views. So it's it's a good way to get profile views because people think, wait a second, 
didn't that person leave? You know, and then you're like, oh, but they're still doing X, Y, Z. Okay, that's really cool. Um, so you want to make sure your your bios are up to date. And the other thing is Twitter. So if you are on Twitter or if you're interested in going on Twitter, I mean, have an up-to-date bio, yes. Another thing people look for in your bios is your contact information. So if somebody wants to reach out to you, if they want to email you, they're going to potentially go to your LinkedIn or your Twitter to find your email. And especially journalists. So, you know, a journalist, journalists are on Twitter. If you want to, let's say you see an article that you wish you had been quoted in, you can DM a journalist through Twitter. You can tweet and tag them in the tweet. And if your bio reflects the image that you are trying to portray, because that's what your bio is, it's a component of your image, they're going to look at it. And if it is aligned with, you know, your experience and how you're positioning yourself, then they're going to be like, okay, this person is, you know, who they say they are, I'm going to reach out to them. And, and uh, the other point that really struck me um, when you were talking is this whole idea of um, it being uh, top of mind, because if you're not around and you're not posting, it, you very quickly, people think, well, you know, what's happened to Janice? Where is she? Or what's happened to Harsha? They probably don't think anything. They probably just forget about you. Yeah, it, exactly. Which is even worse. It's so, worse. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, if you're posting sort of um, I know, three times a week or whatever the number is, and popping up on their feed, um, you know, as long as it's not ridiculous stuff and you're trying to add value, then actually it, it is just weird how you suddenly start thinking, oh, yeah, I saw that post by Janice. That's pretty good. Um, and then it just starts a train of thought in that person's mind. Maybe yeah. they can't hire you, but they can put you in touch with somebody else. But it's, yeah. a, it's a whole numbers game. Um it is. I mean, I think you need to familiarize yourself with the best practices for each of the platforms. And I think you sure. need to make sure you don't, you don't cre- you didn't make a faux pas by doing something that's not appropriate for the platform. You can go into any of the, pla- like go into LinkedIn and say, how do I update my bio? How often should I post on LinkedIn? Right in LinkedIn. You'll get a lots of advice from people from LinkedIn about how to do that. Sure. Um, I talk about that too. in some of my stuff, being top of mind is marketing. Marketing is about being top of mind. That's fundamentally what marketing is. Um, in fact, there's a something called share, Mindshare, you know, and that's a lot of what marketing is trying to accomplish. They're trying to get Mindshare from consumers for their product. What mind do you mean share. by Mindshare? What, what do you mean like by Like share of mind. Like you want to get share of mind. It's like being top of mind. You're trying to be ah. part, one of the brands people think yeah. about, right? So maybe that's a bit too technical. But, you know, getting being top of mind is fundamentally what marketing is all about. Yeah, because I know I, I totally agree with you. Because say with both our podcasts, you need to then you know, find your audience, become sticky, become indispensable, so that they're really every you know week, two weeks, whatever it is, they're looking forward to that content and digesting that content and really making them part of their lives. Um, I mean, what do you think, Janice? One of the things that I've yes, I agree with that. I, I think that um, people do. It's interesting because even uh, although I've only been at it for about six weeks, people are already saying, "Oh, did I miss an episode? Did you like so today? <laughs> today is today is my day of publishing. So being consistent, I've I've been reading about how to grow a podcast um, because there's a lot out there about how to launch a podcast, but there's not that much about how to grow. There is stuff about how to grow, but you have to look a little harder for it. Yeah. So I found some good information about how to grow, and being consistent is one of the ways to yeah. grow. I guess people like to get into the habit. I have been aiming to get my podcast out and being consistent at the time that you post. So I've been posting my podcast at 6am on Thursday mornings. I did not post it this morning. I did not do an episode this week because I made the decision like on Friday because of just some stuff that happened with interviews I had scheduled that instead of scrambling to do a solo, I decided to just skip a week, which I haven't done yet. I'm skipping a week this week and being consistent is very important. Guesting on people's podcasts is one of the best ways to grow because people are, are apparently because, and this makes sense because when you write, like I've been promoting my podcast on LinkedIn, I've been doing very little promotion, Mm. but promoting it on LinkedIn, that will hit my network, Yeah, but it really doesn't go beyond it. So it's, it gets to a certain point very quickly where it's saturated. Everyone from my network that's interested in my podcast has probably already heard about it because it's been six weeks. So how do you get past that? Guesting on other people's podcasts is good because people hear you while they're listening and then they're more likely to subscribe right then and there. Makes total sense. Cool. To- totally agree because it because effectively you have your audience, but you want to try and you know go go beyond that and move into somebody else's. So yeah, I I, I totally uh, get that. I just thought the first thing that I needed to do was social media, but apparently no, because it's too many steps for people 
Cool. No, very good. And and just in terms of um, the sort of the job uh, seekers uh, out there, are there any other thoughts, Janice, um, to which we haven't talked about? Because clearly, obviously, branding, content, I think those are really all important. But any other ways that which they can stand out? Anything that you can do that helps that will increase your visibility is going to help you get a job faster. And I think that it's sometimes really hard to motivate yourself to get out of your house, you know, to make the effort to get to that networking event. Um, But like almost every time, if you do make yourself do it, you think, gee, that was well worth it. You know, even if you just focus on meeting one or two people and leave, because it's just better than if you hadn't done anything at all. And you never know where those people are going to lead you to. Yeah, I, I just love that point because I think motivation is, it, yeah, when, say, after the first four weeks of looking for a job, if things haven't happened, motivation starts declining and you suddenly think, oh my God, yeah, is it going to happen? But actually, it's really about, as you're saying, showing up, being consistent, trying to it's make hard. sure. Yeah, it's yeah. hard. And, and you've got to really force yourself to go along, be cheerful, uh, talk to people who've got jobs and who are probably, you know, talk bragging about them. But that's just the way to, to get things done. Perception is reality. And I think that if you can go and, you know, put your best foot forward, try to motivate yourself to do things if they, if they make you feel uncomfortable, post on LinkedIn, show up to events, like, you know, try to maybe speak to small audiences, take small steps, and as you go and build confidence, maybe ladder up, ladder up to bigger opportunities because perception really is reality and people will be interested in what you have to say because you do have experience and it is worth passing on. No, I, I just love that. And, and one sort of uh, tagline I sort of came up with was sort of, if you can change your perception, you can change your reality. Um, and it's just about changing the way you look at the world. And I mean, say on a, like a personal relationship basis, if you get dumped by your boyfriend or girlfriend, you're feeling terrible. Don't stay at home in a cave, get out there and show the best side of yourself because staying yeah. at home and being unhappy. That's right. It's not going to work. Well, one thing I've noticed when people are in transition with jobs Like, you know, usually you've made commitments for a certain amount of time. So like when you leave a job, you're maybe you have some speaking engagements teed up. Maybe you have some events that you've scheduled to go to go to those things. Like people question sometimes, should I do that? Yes, yes, you should definitely do because that momentum will like will propel you for a little while. And ideally you can tee up some other things, you know, in the interim and extend the momentum of that stuff, you know, which is going to help you because again, it's going to give you like that being ability to be top of mind within your industry when maybe there's a job opportunity and someone sees you and thinks, oh, you know what, that you would be perfect for that. Just love that. So um, Janice, we're coming up to the uh, end of our time here. So how can people uh, get in touch with you? Uh, I am active somewhat on LinkedIn, growing more active all the time. Um, so at Janice Mandel, uh, also Twitter at Janice Mandel, J-A-N-I-C-E-M-A-N-D-E-L, one L. Um, so that's my handle on both those places. And then my podcast, Path to Visibility, is available on all platforms. And it's all about growing your biz- growing your visibility, whether you're a small business or a personal brand. Cool. People and do you have out. a web do you have a website as well, Janice, where people can I have a corporate website that I I have a small business website for my agency, which I'm phasing out, and I have a new one that's not ready yet. It it's been great chatting with you, Janice. And one thing, final thing I'd like to offer my guests, is there anybody you'd like to give a shout out to who's helped you in your life or your career or just anybody in general, apart from Billy Joel? <laughs> <laughs> I would say that uh my Upcoming guest, uh, my next guest on my podcast, his name is Steve Laterande, and he's a former Globe and Mail reporter, also worked at Twitter. He's going to be talking about media pitching do's and don'ts. Uh, and I've known him for about 10 years. And I think I've, I've learned a lot about the media from Steve. Cool. Yeah. And he's just in a new job now working at a company called Sonda in the real estate industry. He's doing really well. Um, so yeah, shout out to Steve. 
Fantastic. Um, well, Janice, thank, thanks so much for taking the time to join us from Toronto today. Yeah, it's been great to you know, learn from you as well. Um, and I think that that's a good thing about uh, hopefully you know, meeting new people, expanding your um, network and building new relationships is this whole idea of knowledge transfer, learning from people, um, which I think is, is so important. Yeah, no, for sure. I was actually just looking for this because uh, I list. I thank you, Harsha. I love your podcast. I listened to it. I think I listened to an episode of your podcast when I was on vacation last year. Oh, cool. And I, <laughs> I think that yeah, and I think I emailed your speaker. Can't remember the name of the person though. I think it was a Rexer, someone from a Rex group. But anyways, I listened to Gil Winch and I listened to Sophie Wade and uh, recently, and I thought they were very both very interesting. Cool, fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, enjoy the rest of your day, Janice, and, th- and thanks again for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, Harsha. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such a fun interview. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, please subscribe to the podcast, which is available on your favorite providers, and subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Wishing you success with your career. I hope you will join me again in the future.